So Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be starting uh, in verse 4, actually. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then we go on in verse 9, it says, And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? So Jesus actually gives the interpretation here, starting in verse 10. And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, and then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, for which for a while believe, and in time temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. 15. But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, and keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So the disciples ask the meaning, and Jesus provides four kinds of hearers. He's, he, he tells this parable and says, these are the four kinds of people that hear God's word. You have in verse 12, those by the wayside. Those that hear the word, and the devil takes it out of the heart. It doesn't penetrate their heart. They go unchanged from the sanctuary of God after hearing his word. Verse 13, the second kind of hearer, those on the rock. Though those that hear, but the root never takes place. Perhaps the soil is, is just shallow enough for something to grow, but it grows too tall too quickly and then tumbles over and falls and dies. This might be maybe compared to someone with temporary faith, someone who hears the gospel, gets really excited about it, but they have no soil. They have no deep soil. And so when the tree tries to root itself into something deeper so that it can grow taller, it simply just falls over. The third kind of hearer is those that fall among the thorns. They hear and are consumed with the world. Uh, if you've ever had experience preaching the gospel to someone in America, I'm sure you've heard this, where they say something to the effect of, well, that sounds like something I need, but I have things I need to do first. I need to graduate school, or I need to pursue this part of my career, or I need to have these amount of kids first, or this big thing. I need to buy a boat first, perhaps, before I pursue God. I need to do me first essentially. This is very common in America. And finally, for those that fall on good ground, those that are prepared to hear with an honest and good heart. So these are those that hear the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit. Those, in essence, that are of God and that have been planted by God, that have been furnished by God, and are just ready to grow. They have everything. They're on the right foundation, in the right soil, and God says, for us to cultivate that soil and to, to be those that hear and do and keep. And so this, this practice of learning how to hear preaching is something that we should all care about. Because it has to do with the part after we're justified, when we're being sanctified. How, how do we do that? How do we actually participate and grow and, and grow closer with Christ? Because that, that should be our goal when we're saved. It's not, well, I guess I'm just not going to hell anymore. Great, now I can go live my life. No, the, the idea is that we, we can grow closer to Christ, Christ and grasp onto him more every single day. So how do we do that? So when you come to church, you are coming to hear the voice of God. And, and this is something that might make the modern audience very uncomfortable, this idea of hearing God's voice preached. Um, it sounds a little charismatic maybe to some. It sounds perhaps a way to control people to others, those who have been in abusive churches, whose pastors genuinely do say, you must listen to me no matter what I say. But that is not the case. And we talked about that two weeks ago, actually, that, that we're to be those that prove things, those that try things. 
we don't just blindly listen because someone is in a position of authority. We, first of all, found all authority on the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't just listen to the words of man because that man has a title or a badge or whatever it might be, a uniform, if you will. So those that are of God have truly been planted in good soil. So take heed to hear. Thomas Watson said that the man stands behind the pulpit, the pastor, the man stands behind the pulpit, but the voice coming to you is from heaven. When the pastor faithfully preaches from the word, God is speaking to you. The triune God is speaking to you using his means, the minister, as his instrument. And so in this sense, if the minister departs from the word of God, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. And in fact, uh, we were talking before the service how this is often the catalyst for a really good learning opportunity. When a pastor goes up there and says something wrong and, you, and you know, you're pricked and you're like, wait a minute, I, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. Did that really, is that really true? And you go home and you dive into the scriptures yourself and now you've got a really good topic for Bible study. You've got a really good conversation for conference and fellowship. Hey, the pastor said this one thing, you know, I'm not sure I really agree with it. Let's, let's get into the scriptures together. Let's, let's test these things like the Bereans. And usually it's the case, if you're at a biblical church, no matter what biblical church, that the pastor misspoke or perhaps spoke too quickly or maybe didn't formulate his words all that uh, carefully. And that's most of the time. 99% of the time, if, if you're confused about something that is said, it's usually because the pastor just misspoke or something. But in, in churches that are not biblical, this is very frequent. This is something that happens all the time. Uh, you know, you see the billboards on the, on the 202 for churches that are preaching on, you know, how Jesus gives you a better sex life and these sorts of things. That kind of sermon title should make you go, wait a minute, I don't know about this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about this. So Calvin said that, that in a sermon, there are two ministers preaching to you. There are two ministers. There's the internal minister, which is the Holy Spirit, and the external minister, which is the actual preacher. And so God uses means. He uses the means of grace. He uses the preached word. No one would ever be saved if they didn't hear the gospel. Just like God uses prayers, just like God uses the preached word in your sanctification. And so the Holy Spirit works in the preached word. He actually says that he's going to do that. So the minister is the organ that the Holy Spirit uses, the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses. The minister sets forth the truth to your mind. That should be the first thing he does. He takes the scriptures and says, this is what they say. He, he, he exercises your mind first. He says, think about this. And then he starts to make application to your heart, and that is where the Holy Spirit really gets to you. The, the minister should speak to your situation, and that's the whole idea behind experimental, discriminatory, experiential preaching, whatever word you want to call it. So we ought to have a very high view of this. We should have a very, very high view. And, and I have found that, that when congregations hold the pastor to a very high standard, the pastor then is encouraged to be held to a high standard. He's not going to go up there flippantly and just say whatever he wants. He, he actually is encouraged to be more faithful to the word because he knows that his people are hanging on his words. They show up ready to hear God speak, and the minister knows it. And so he feels a great terror lest he misspeak, or lest he step left and right of the word. However, a congregation that doesn't care, eh, whatever, I'm not listening anyway, they're on their phones. What is motivating him to say anything at all? Right? He's not going to care, because you don't care. And so it goes both ways. It, it goes both ways. The pastor is encouraged when his congregation truly cares about what he's saying, because they know that God uses means to talk to his people. So we ought to have a high view of preaching, and it is the means that God has ordained to admonish us, console us, exhort us on the Lord's day especially. On the Lord's day especially. So obviously every occupation is an occupation unto God, right? Whether you sweep streets or you're a plumber or you're an engineer or a banker or whatever you might do. You work in fast food, retail, it doesn't matter. Everything we do ought to be unto God. However, the minister's occupation is especially held to a higher standard in scripture. And so I think that the church, and I know this, the church would do very well in the modern context to treat ministers much more highly and to treat the preached word much more highly because then maybe ministers might start taking themselves a little more seriously if they're held to a higher standard. If they know that if they just go off script and talk about people's sex lives, 
that they're going to have 50 pastoral meetings to deal with the next week. Right? That, that's not going to fly because it's not from Scripture. That is not going to fly because it's not in Scripture. So the Puritans uh, called the, the Lord's Day sermon the market day for the soul. The market day for the soul. And so we, in our context, we have corner stores, we have gas stations, we have uh, uh, convenience stores and grocery stores, and even now the, the emergence of the farmer's market's coming back. And I think that's more of a, a kind of a novelty thing for a lot of people, but it's real. You can go and buy food at a market, a little farmer's market that comes up in tents. But back then, they had one day where all of the farmers and all the producers would come and, and set up the marketplace. And so the period, people, any time, any person during that time would have to go and get all their food at once. And this is mostly the practice of most of us, right? You have your grocery day and you go and get groceries. But, but how many times, like, oh, I forgot this one thing, and you just run back to the store the next day? They couldn't do that. And so they had to be very careful to make sure, hey, let's make sure we get all the right stuff uh, so that we can eat and feed our families and our friends this week. And so this would have especially been uh, important for the Lord's Day meals, too. So back then, they considered the sermon the market day place for the soul. You would go to church to get every ounce of spiritual food that you needed for the week, and then you would feast upon that throughout the week. You would take it as, as your allotment for the week, and you would continue eating from it as you went until the next Lord's Day. So just like the yield from the market, when, when, you, when you go to the grocery store and you get everything, in theory, that you need for the week, you go to church on Sunday ready to get everything you need for the week. And so the rest of the week should be spent preparing meals, both spiritually and physically, together. Right? Having conference and making sure you circle back. So today we're going to be talking about three things. How to prepare to hear a sermon for the first. The second, how to listen and retain sermons. And then three, how to go out and practice sermons. And then we're going to end with the kinds of people that just don't benefit from sermons. Kinds of people that don't benefit from sermons. And there are a kind, there's a kind of person that doesn't. I've been one of them. I've been one of them where I've sat in a Reformed church with solid preaching and I, I would... We, me and my wife would get in the car, and I'd say, man, I just don't really get anything from these sermons. I don't know what it is. And I didn't have the wherewithal to say, oh, it's me. It's me. It's me the, that's the problem. I wasn't preparing myself properly. I wasn't expecting that God was going to show up in that sermon. So three things. So the first, how to prepare ourselves to hear a sermon. We have five points on this. And so we, we first prepare in prayer. Just like when we, when we leave the house and we put on clothes for our body, when we leave the house, especially on the Lord's Day, but every day, we should clothe our soul in prayer. We should view them the same. And when we leave our, our place of residence without prayer, we should feel just as naked as if we were to leave our house naked without clothes. The same deal. And so uh, today, actually, I was very convicted preparing this, and our family started a practice where we all get in front of our bed before we leave the door on the Lord's Day, and we just pray together. Pray that, that we would be, on, even on the way to the church, that we wouldn't, you know, bicker about anything or that we wouldn't talk about foolish things or make stupid comments about anything that would get us in the wrong mind space to hear the word of God preached. Because how often does that happen? You know, you might even pray and pray and pray and in the car you hear something vulgar on the radio or you have a bad, kind of an uneasy conversation with your spouse or, or whoever's driving with you and you walk into the door and you're like, man, I hope they get something out of this sermon today. <laughs> Right? How many times has that happened to us where we get in a little tiff with our friends? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, but we oftentimes let ourselves become distracted even on the way to the Lord's Day sermon. So prepare ourselves in prayer. Spend, one, it doesn't have to be anything great, one to five minutes to start and see how you go from there. On Saturday night and on Sunday morning especially. And so a good prayer to pray if you're kind of like, well, how do I pray? How do I do this? Start with just, Lord, please bless this sermon to my soul. Help me. Be, bless me. Let me be encouraged and grown by this sermon. Similar to what, what we pray in our congregational prayers before we start every day. In fact, a lot of those are catered to help you guys know how, learn how to pray as well. So the second thing we can do is pray for yourself, the minister, and the congregation when you, when you prepare on Saturday nights and on Sunday mornings. Now, that's sort of what we prayed today. We prayed that, that the Lord would speak to us specifically, that they would, he would speak to the congregation, to everybody in a specific way, and that we, then we pray for Dane and the, the person who's actually preaching. 
These are three simple prayers that don't take a whole lot of time that get you in the right space and invite the Lord to help you. The second thing that we can do uh, under the category of how to pray for sermons is to come with a holy appetite. First Peter second or two two says, "Desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire the sincere milk of the word." And so we we come ready to be taught, to desire to be taught. Uh, there's, we're going to talk about this at the end of the sermon, but a lot of people in today's context really don't understand this at all. They come ready to judge the pastor. Right? They've got a systematic theology under their belt, and they're ready to go. They've been in a Facebook debate group for about three months, and they know what they're about to hear. Right? And they've got their pet issue, and they're ready to judge the pastor. And so this is, this is something that people really do, and I've done before in my sin as well. So listen for how God wants you to be changed, what he wants you specifically to do. Dane mentioned it in a sermon, but, but there there are people that come to sermons so that their spouse hears it or so that their friend hears it. They got in a little argument over something with their friend from church and they're shooting glances. They're shooting glances. Man, I hope they hear this. This is for them. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them right now. And they, they have the audacity to, 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 to take themselves out of the sermon and start judging other people. And that's not a great way to be taught. It's not a, not a very good spirit to hear the word. So if you know, especially, uh, we've had a lot of topical sermons lately, but, but once we get back into the swing of expositionally going through Matthew, um, you're going to know the text that we're going to be going through week to week. And so it's helpful to actually read that text and read some study, note, study notes on it and start to meditate upon how is God sp- speaking to me in this text now and ready yourself to, to hear more, ready yourself to go deeper the next morning. So make your soul ready. Uh, in fact, our confession talks about this as a standard practice. In chapter 22 on the Lord's Day, paragraph 8 says, The Sabbath is then to, to, to be kept holy unto the Lord when, when men, after due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. Now, we're not going to talk about Sabbatarianism today, but I think the, the heart behind it is that, hey, prepare yourself. Get ready for worship on Sunday. Regardless of where you view the Sabbath, we personally as a church are Sabbatarian, but wherever you fall on it, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you, whether you are or not a Sabbatarian. There is no harm in preparing your hearts to hear God's word. Simple enough. And if you're there sitting, well, I'm not a Sabbatarian, so I don't have to do it. My, my Sabbath is on Tuesday. First of all, no, it's not. And second of all, that's prideful to say, well, I celebrate the Sabbath on Tuesday, so I don't need to prepare to hear, my, to hear the sermon on Sunday. Don't be prideful. Don't let doctrinal issues prevent you from hearing a sermon. This is something that Dane touched on in the sermon very powerfully today. And so three, this is something that I've never really considered before and really was hit me kind of hard. Three, when you arrive to church, Meditate upon the importance of the preached word. You are about to be ministered to by the triune God from scripture. When we enter this building, we should have a sense of awe and readiness. And and a sense of of sober-mindedness, where we're ready to go. We've spent our evening, perhaps on Saturday, preparing. We've spent Sunday morning praying. We've spent the time driving, and now we're we're about to hear it. And I personally get excited when I, when I get up here and do announcements. I just kind of try to rush through them because I just want to hear God's word preached again. And so this is, this is hopefully the heart that we try to cultivate. Every sermon we need to realize has eternal consequences. The word of God does not return null and void. And if I've ever made the mistake of praying, Lord, do not let your word return null and void, I take it back because he doesn't let his word return void. There is no sermon that doesn't either harden someone's heart or soften someone's heart. There is no preaching of the gospel that does nothing. So God's going to use his word. The question is, is he hardening you or softening you? And whether we prepare ourselves is really a big indicator as to what the sermon is going to do for you. So this is the, this is the purpose of hearing the Lord's Day sermon. You are not going to be as you arrived, no matter what. Even if you feel the same, you are going to leave 
slightly different. Grown by the word, hardened by the word, softened by the word, rebuked by the word, encouraged. Everything the scriptures promise, they're going to do. And so we should show up with a holy expectation to be grown and changed. Lord, change me today. Change me for thy glory, for thy namesake. This should be our prayer. So you are about to be ministered to. Four, realize realize that you are entering into an arena of war. This is how God wages war on the world. Against the kingdom of darkness, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against the assault of God's word in the world. The gospel is powerful. It is a two-edged sword. And Satan, to to our no surprise, should and does try to stop us from hearing the word of God preached. In our desires, I mean, how many times, especially for those of you that are young in your marriage, how many times do you get in fights in the first five years of marriage about stupid little things on the way to church? This is a very common thing for young married people. Who do you think would love nothing more for you to get in a fight on the way to church? Because that takes you out of the the Lord's Day sermon. It just takes you out. It takes you completely out of the sermon. Even before you get to the car from leaving the sermon being preached, Satan is trying to make you forget that sermon, the important point that you remembered, that potent application that you said, I'm never going to forget this. And you hit the car, you open the door. You're like, wait, what was that point? Satan delights in that kind of thing. And that is why conference is so important. Fellowship. Uh, on New Year's Eve, I had the blessing and the honor to have some people from Agros Church over to my house. And when the, when the clock struck midnight, we had family worship together for the first time in 2020, which I was just greatly honored and blessed to be able to do that. But we talked about conference and some, some, some practices that I was hoping we could see more of at Agros Church in 2020. And conference is one of them. Being intentional about talking about holy and spiritual things with each other. And that doesn't mean we all we have to be super pious and never joke and never do anything. We're not, we're not neo-Puritans or anything like that, where we are pietists, where we have to be um, legalistic about it. You know, there's room for, t- for joking and funny talk and, and everything like that. But our fellowship and our conference should always circle back to these main themes of the gospel, these main theological topics. And I've heard this so many times. Well, we just don't know what to talk about. There's nothing to talk about. It's like, really? Really? Exactly. That's what I said. Like, Really? Huh. You have 66 books of the Bible, for one. You can talk about those. You have the sermon that you heard preached. You can talk about that. How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? Which theologian are you reading? All of these things. What, what is your heart aching for? What is hurting you, dear brother? Where are you suffering? This is the purpose of conference, to not only meet theologically, but to meet spiritually and to genuinely mourn and grieve with each other if we need to, and rejoice with each other where we do. It is not just purely a dry theological exercise. And this is something the Puritans were actually fond of, actually bearing each other's burdens. This is an important aspect of conference. And so we shouldn't leave this place with no expectation of being changed. We should leave this place knowing that we have been changed and to improve upon that change. And then finally, five, when you come into God's house, come with the expectation that God who baptized you is speaking to you. This is the covenant-keeping God who desires to be your God, who desires to meet with you. He is going to speak to you through the means that he says he's going to speak to you through. And so when you sit there and say, oh, this sermon is just not doing it for me. God is speaking to you. Come together. Bring it back, refocus, and hear, and hear. He will speak to you through his ordained means. So the second category, how to listen and retain. So there's this, I think it's a a very well-established principle in the Reformed theological canons, if you will, that God speaks through his word. This is something that we we love and we treasure. We're, we're, We're people that love the scriptures. But how do we do this? How do we actually listen to a sermon and retain How do we do that? The one who hears and understands. And today's sermon was brilliant. I could probably just pack it up right now. We could go home and just re-listen to the sermon audio from Dane's sermon. It was great. I I was extremely blessed uh, by it. 
So the expectation is to listen, number one, to listen and to comprehend and understand. Not just with your head, but with your heart and with your hands. You first, the preacher engages your mind. The spirit then engages your heart. And you respond with your hands as you go. This is the way that we understand your head, your heart, and your hands were a very common Reformed refrain. So how do we do this? I I personally do this by taking notes. I'm a big note taker. You can do this on your phone, though though I recommend not doing it on your phone. Because we have this pesky little thing where our phone is connected to every other little thing and notifications pop up and they pull you right out of the sermon. So I do handwritten notes, but, but there's other ways. Um, if you're not a big fan of note-taking in the sermon, some people actually will listen to the audio and note-take after or just borrow someone else's notes. That, that, that works too. Uh, Pastor Joel Ellis actually just prints out his manuscript for everybody. Um, so th- that's another way to do it. If you guys are interested in getting sermon notes and these kinds of things, we can maybe consider doing something like that. But this is a really good way. I personally enjoy taking notes myself because that's how I learn. That's just how I learn. And so if I write something down, I write probably about 50 handwritten pages a week, actually. And so that's how I learn. Uh, so find out how you learn and try to incorporate it into your, your sermon listening. If that's handwritten notes, if that's, it's that recording and listening to it later. Um, a lot of people do really well talking about things. So even if you're not a heavy note taker, taking down like five keynotes, like this, this little thought. You don't even need to write a whole lot. But just have five, main, three main thoughts, one main thought, something that sticks out to you. That, and then you purpose to talk about that with someone that week. That's a really, really good way to retain the information. So write down some main points and a few main thoughts under each point. Write down any questions you have, either about the pastor's exegesis or something that you need clarification on or how it applies to you. Maybe the pastor makes a very potent application of the text to those uh, that are struggling, but you're like, hey, the Lord was speaking to me in this text, but I'm not struggling right now. I'm doing really well, actually. Can you just pull this out for me more for me and meet with your pastor and have him do that? These are great things to be thinking about throughout the week or perhaps with your brothers and sisters in Christ, not even the pastor. And I personally write down every scripture reference that was mentioned in the sermon so I can go back and read them and meditate upon them in the context of the sermon. Because oftentimes the pastor will just kind of drop a reference here and there and you miss kind of the context and you miss the whole scope of it and you trust that he's applying it correctly, but guaranteed there's more than what the pastor can mention in 30 seconds. And so this is a good way to continue meditating upon the sermon throughout the week is to take those scripture references that he gives you and then meditate upon those in the context of the sermon and continue drawing out more and more food from what he's already given you. So just a quick note, quick note I try to organize my notes so that I have a place for everything. So I, use, I, I personally use Cornell note-taking method, and I have like a column here, and I have, um, they do it as kind of question and answer. I adapted mine for uh, sermon note-taking where I take the topics on the left and my thoughts on the right, and then I have a, a bumper down at the bottom for application and questions. And so I try to keep little spaces for everything in, in the sermon so that I don't disrupt the flow of my notes. And so I can write the scripture references and the bumper on the side, the margin. And, and so develop a note-taking system. I actually, I'm a nerd, and I, develop, and I, I made like a 15-minute YouTube video on how to do this. Um, so if you're interested in watching that, I, it's there. Uh, you'll also find a lot of pen review videos and things of that nature. So get ready for some exciting stuff. Um, in any case, one of the biggest problems with retaining information is being distracted. Is being distracted. Right? How many times do you find yourself wandering off on a thought? Right? Where you're like, I'm just lost. Now I'll never be able to get back. Woe is me. I'm horrible. I should just leave right now. This is, this is very common. More common than you might think, especially for those that have, that have sat under preaching for, for a while. I, I found it very difficult when I moved from mainstream evangelicalism to reformed preaching. Because mainstream evangelical preaching is exciting, even like new Calvinist preaching. It's, it's, it's exciting. You get into it. It's emotional. And then you go to Reformed Church, and it's like, man, this is boring, right? This, that was my first thought when I, when I first started going to a Reformed Church. I thought, this is boring. How will I ever be Reformed? And it was very discouraging. But after time, I taught myself how to follow Reformed preaching, how to benefit from Reformed teaching. It's truly something that you have to beat yourself into submission to. And once you learn how to listen to Reformed preaching, it is the most rich, deep, 
experiential, beneficial, soul-enlivening preaching you will ever listen to. And you'll go back to that mainstream evangelical church and man, man, that was awful. I didn't get a single thing from it. And so this is something that we have to teach ourselves how to do. And so it simply, I think a simple piece of advice if you get distracted a lot, learn to pray this prayer. Lord, I'm distracted. Please forgive me. Help me focus. Just in the moment. Learn to pray that prayer. Quietly, of course. It might, be very, it might sound like a, a charismatic church if we, we, all, if we all get in here speaking out loud. So, so uh, of course, quiet when you pray. Um, so listening is a discipline. And, and in America especially, we, we usually go up through some sort of public school system or homeschooling system where we're used to being taught. However, not all of us had that traditional education. Um, a lot of us did draw a few, you know, there's a handful of you in here that didn't finish through high school and had trouble sitting through lectures. This is actually something that they're trying to adjust in pedagogy right now, failing a lot at, um, really just not teaching anybody to, by, by these methods. But, but you have to learn how to learn, essentially. Learn how to listen. And once you learn how to listen, especially in the context of your Lord's Day sermon, you will get more out of it. You will get more out of it. So if you couldn't find the motivation in public school, that's fine. This is God speaking. So try to find the motivation to, to beat your will into submission to hear preaching and to, be, to benefit from it. And don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged, especially if you, like me, come from a mainstream evangelical background when you got saved and you just are having trouble with it, having trouble singing the hymns and the psalms, having trouble hearing Reformed experiential preaching. Stick with it. Don't be discouraged. And if you find yourself getting distracted a lot, just refocus real quick. Just say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And you'll find that you'll be able to sit longer and longer and longer without being distracted. And this, is, this is essentially the principle that you teach children. You start five minutes, then 10 minutes, and then you give them the iPad, right? And then get, you try to make it to 15 minutes. Then you give them something to play with, then 20 minutes. We do the same things with ourselves and teach ourselves in this way. So Calvin actually said that the layperson was to be just as active in the sermon as the minister. Now, Joel Beakey says that this is probably a little too extreme. But um, the, the point is that, that as the, the pastor preaches, listen. Listen to the point where you feel like you're burning calories, right? So you're, you're, you're applying to yourself. You're, you're chewing over. You're analyzing it. Don't just let the word kind of wash over you. You know, just fly by your ears like, like a whizzing arrow or something like that. The, the, the minister strings up his bow with many arrows and the Holy Spirit shoots him right into you. And so, so be ready to, to hear. And if you find yourself distracted, it, it's fine if you get distracted during my lectures, I suppose. I'm not usually preaching from the word. I'm usually giving a topical lecture. But during the, the sermon, be attentive. Be attentive as much as you can. And when you find yourself being distracted, try to engage more with the material. Try to say, well, what does that have implications on my soul? How am I to respond to this? What am I to do about this? Start thinking about this. And when you find something rich enough, write it down real quick and then keep listening. Really, really good methodology. So, so preaching essentially should not be in any case a spectator sport. There should be active participation. The, the, really, the Baptists kind of have made uh, this, this an art by the, that's right, brother, keep going, preach it. You know, you hear the, the sort of uh, the, the people screaming out in especially more fundamental Reformed Baptist churches, but the Baptists love this. And if you've ever been a Baptist in a Presbyterian church, you get a lot of looks. See, that's right. And they look back at you like, whoa, whoa, spirit's moving here. And so um, this, is, this is kind of the, the verbal way that, that, that churches have done this in the past. I'm not saying cause chaos, right? But, but I think it can be helpful. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the first way that we start being active is when the minister prays, we pray with him, right? So when I get up here and I, I pray my prayers, some people think they're too long. I'm actually, a, I pray for a very short period of time compared to a lot of Reformed churches for the corporate prayer. But try to pray with them. Try to expand upon their prayers in your heart. Try to, try to send those prayers upwards unto God from your own self, Right? This is an important practice. So pray with the minister. When he speaks, be evaluating, applying, and praying. If the pastor, for example, it, uh, there have been times where, where Dana's gotten lost in the sermon throughout the, throughout the years that I've heard him preach, and I just pray, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, get him back, get him back on track. 
I do this. And we should all do this instead of laughing at him and being like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Your heart should stand still and pray for him until he collects himself, right? That's how we should be praying for our pastors. When he speaks, be evaluating, applying, and praying. Listening is hard work, but if you don't listen well, you will not retain well. And so really take it seriously. Really take it seriously. Faith is the ingredient to listening that will profit your soul. So this is uh, another point that we should, the second point under this category. When you listen, listen with submissive faith. Listen with submissive faith. Luther essentially said that if you don't have faith when you listen, it's like missing an ingredient in medicine. That the medicine will not do anything because it's missing the main ingredient. And so if we listen to sermons without faith, we're missing the main ingredient. Our minds might benefit, or even our lives might benefit. We might say, oh, maybe I should stop using cuss words. Maybe that's the topic of the sermon is vulgar language or something. And your life even benefits from it. You become a more moral person. But if you do not listen with submissive faith, you're missing the main ingredient that God is using. Otherwise, it's just simple moralism. And, and of course, this world would do better with, with, not with moral people, obviously. But we're not trying to be moral people. We're trying to be holy people, set apart unto God. Three, you listen with humble and serious self-examination. Do not listen with somebody else in mind. God is not speaking to them through you. God is speaking to you. Say, Lord, what will you have me hear? What will you have me learn? What will you have me do? What will you have me do? Ask, how will thou have me changed through the sermon today? These are prayers that we should be writing down and praying upon. Just like when we take our car, for example, your car breaks down. Most of us here probably can't fix a car. Chris isn't here. I don't see him. He's probably one of the only people in the congregation who actually knows how to do body work on a car. Maybe some of you know to, I know how to change oil, and we probably can do these simple things, filters and tires and things like that. But most of us, for the most part, if our transmission goes out, we probably are taking it to a shop. In the same way, we have to trust, like we trust the mechanic, hopefully, I know that's a, that's a controversial topic, but we should, in theory, trust mechanics to fix our cars. In the same way, we need to trust our minister that he knows our hearts and that knows the word better than we do. And that especially the chief minister, Christ, knows us better than anybody else. And so we show up ready to be ministered to by the one who is chiefly qualified to minister to us. Just like we take our car to the body shop when it's broken, we take our hearts to the, to the church to be preached to. And so we have to show up ready for this. Even if a sermon doesn't speak directly to us in that moment, there are benefits to being attentive. Because there will come a time where perhaps you are the person that that sermon applied to. And you will recall that and remember that and remember the pastor's wisdom, remember the application of the Holy Spirit and say, man, now that's speaking to me years later. There have been so many times, I'll pull up sermons from the first week I was saved sometimes. I'm like, man, I forgot I even had that. I forgot I even had that in me. So sermons can be a sort of preparatory, a preventative measure even. So even if you're not feeling like the sermon is speaking to you in that moment now, hold on to it. Because the Lord is using it in you whether you know it or not. And he may bring it around to the front of your memory in a time where you need it. So think of remedies as we get older. Sometimes a pastor will make an application that's completely irrelevant to you. Like I have found that, that I'm for the first time in my life surrounded by people who do not like sports, which I'm a huge fan of, that people don't like sports. I like don't, I'm not, I have no affinity towards sports. And so for some reason or another, I have used a lot of sports analogies as my analogies. And I look across the sea of people and know everyone just kind of like, I don't get it. And so this cheered my heart for one because I'm like, yes, I don't have to pull out sports analogies to connect to people. And, but, but there will be analogies that don't speak to you. There will be analogies that don't speak to you in the moment but may speak to you later. There may be applications that will help you in your time of need as you go through life. And so that should be a huge motivation even if you're feeling like it's not a, a, an applicatory point in that moment to hang on to it for later. So we are to be ready in season and out, and sometimes that, 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 that means retaining some things for the out-of-season moment. So the third thing that I want to talk about is how to go out and practice, what we do after church. And this is where most people fail. This is where I fail the most. This is where I fail the most. 
So if we have five points here. The first way that we go out and practice what we do after church is to strive to retain the sermon and pray over what you heard. Whether it be a mental note, just three things. I'm going to pray for these three things based on the sermon this week. I'm going to meditate over them. There's three scriptures. Make it easy for yourself. Take your sermon notes and pray over them. Take your sermon notes and meet up with some friends from church. Take your sermon notes and meet up with people from other churches and say, hey, this is what we talked about in church. You want to talk about it too? Joel Beakey uh, says that a really good challenge would be to take the sermon and distill it for a child and preach the sermon to a child so you truly comprehend it. That's a really, really powerful way to do that. So I, I think I would probably have to use about 50 words at this point if I wanted, but they're, 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 this is a really powerful way in any context. To, uh, they say that, that, tr- that you truly have a mastery of a topic if you can distill it at sort of four different levels. If you can explain it to a child, a teenager, an adult, and an expert, then you really know the subject. If you can, if you can describe something in a, in a spectrum of vocabulary ranges, a spectrum of developmental stages, you truly know that topic. And so really try to, try to go out there and explain it to whether it be your spouse and family worship, your friends, uh, your, your roommates, whatever it might be. Just talk about it. Talk about it and relay things back to each other. So retain the sermon by pray and talking over what you heard. The Puritans advocated for, from going from your prayer closet to the sermon and back. Now, we, our church is kind of not so structured that way where we can do that. But the point is, when you get home from church, spend some time alone. Spend some time alone and just thank God for the day. I try to do that. Two, remember by taking notes and looking over those notes again. And we also upload all of our sermons. We have a Google Drive that has everything, far too much, actually, uh, if you ever want to go into that. And we also upload our sermons onto the website. So this is a really good way for people that don't maybe, maybe aren't note-takers but, but still want to retain some things. Listen to the audio. Three, talk to others about the sermon in conference. So this is, this is the best way, I think, for most people. Most people learn by talking about stuff and talking about things and exploring the idea further in the context of fellowship. So if you're not a note-taker, you don't want to re-listen to the audio, seek out someone this week to talk about the sermon with. And most of us, a lot of us in here have spouses, girlfriends, fiancés. But if you're single, go find another person in this church, married or single, and schedule 30 minutes with them and say, hey, let's talk about the sermon this week. Call them up on the phone or, or Discord or whatever you're using, Facebook Messenger. There's a lot of ways to do this. And it doesn't have to be very burdensome. It doesn't have to be like this big ordeal where you make dinner. and it, It's just a simple, simple exercise. So talk to others about the sermon. Psalm 5.5 says, We took sweet counsel together and walked under the house of God in company. So we should, like David, walk to the house of God in company and leave in company. Four, put the sermon into practice. Homework. The minister should give you things to do and to think about. The minister should give you things to do and to think about. Um, they're, they're, the sermon isn't over when the pastor says amen. You, you should really view the sermon as being started when the pastor says amen. There's a Scottish anecdote where uh, the hu- this husband goes to church without his wife because his wife is sick and she's in bed. So he says, he says I'm just going to go and I'll bring back my notes and everything and we'll talk about it. And he goes and he gets home a little bit early because he rushes back to go see his wife. And she says, home already? Didn't the, is the sermon not over yet? And he says, the sermon has just started, my dear. And, and so we should, we should un- understand sermons like this as well. Of course, the sermon officially, you know, is, is, is done being preached. But the application to our hearts should not end until the next week's Lord's Day. So we should then take up with our hands what we've learned in the sermon in our heart and our head. So put the sermon into practice. And five, this is kind of one that I think is really helpful. At the end of the sermon, if you just take 10 seconds or so and write one thing that you want to work on this week based on the sermon, while it's fresh in your mind. Just take a quick moment, maybe put it as a note in your phone, text it to yourself, text it to your spouse, and say, this is the thing I'm going to work on. Just one thing. Don't make it too complex for yourself. I find that, that if you set doable goals, you, do, you end up accomplishing a lot more than if you set a lot of really ambitious, unaccomplishable goals. So this, is, this is a really good practice. And so finally, and we probably will get out here early, I'm trying to play with the time because I know I go long sometimes we're going to try to stick to about 45 minutes going forward but 
Finally, we'll end with talking about why people who are professing Christians don't benefit from sermons. There's a couple of assumptions that I'm going to make here. The person that doesn't benefit from the sermon is a Christian. They're regenerate. And that the, pa- the pastor is preaching biblically. There is no expectation necessarily to benefit greatly from a pastor who's not preaching from the scriptures. And there is absolutely zero expectation that an unregenerate man will benefit from a sermon unless he be converted. The word of God is foolishness to those that are perishing. So, the first category, people do not benefit when they come to judge the minister or compare, compare him to their favorite pastor, unless, of course, outside of the context of looking for a church. There's a certain reasonable expectation to say, is this preaching solid? I'm taking notes, you know, for, for certain things. But when you're a member of a church, if you come every Sunday judging the pastor on his doctrinal prowess, on his oratory, on his rhetoric you're not going to benefit from the sermon. We have, we have, we've had a lot of people that have come to our church that usually come as a friend. They get brought as a friend and they always, I mean, a a lot of them, probably three of them have been hand raisers, but they want to interrupt the sermon right there and then and there. We've had hand raisers that want to say, excuse me, it is not your time to speak, sir. And, and so Dane's actually had to do this a couple of times in our church. But there's also the kind of person that, that goes and then whispers and says, well, it was legalistic. That's usually what people say about Reformed churches. Oh, it was legalistic and dry and cold. Or the pastor, didn't, he took the scripture way out of context because they're used to pastors taking it really out of context. And so there, there's a certain kind of person that comes as a critic. There's a certain, and there's a difference between being a careful hearer and a critic. And we have to know the difference between the two. So things like misspeakings. Pastors misspeak. They're human. We shouldn't take a misspeaking and then say, oh, I'm checking out. I'm done. This guy is awful. We shouldn't say something about it even if a pastor misspeaks, unless you have that kind of relationship with them where you joke about it. But sometimes people judge the, the pastor by whether or not they deliver things pointedly. They come to the sermon not to be judged, essentially. They don't want to be convicted. Uh, there have been people that have come to our church who were like, man, you said that thing that, about politics, that I cared too much about politics. I know I came, but you didn't have to talk straight to me. And this particular individual never came to church. It's not like Dane even had him in his mind. He just happened to show up, and Dane touched on his pet sin. And so the minister does prepare with his congregation in mind, but he's not just, he doesn't prepare a 45-minute sermon just for you. If you are having a prick in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit. Listen to it. Listen to it. The second, people that focus on other people more than themselves. We've talked about this throughout the sermon today and in Sunday school so far. I hope they're hearing this. I mean, give their husband or wife a jab in the, in the gut, and they're like, you hear that? You hear what they're saying right now? This is for you, honey. Right? I, I can tell you, I've seen that. In bigger churches, uh, I, I've, I've sat in the back for, for a lot of big churches that I've gone to, and you can just see the, the wife looking at her husband like this. <laughs> but it happens. Where people go to sermons to, to hope that their person they came with hears something from it. You are not here to ensure somebody else hears God's word. Let me be clear. You are here for God to speak to you. This is for you. Not so that your friend can stop being a jerk to you. Or whatever the thing may be. Three, people that intentionally distract themselves during sermons. People that are on their phone the whole time, there are people that come, they sit in the back, and they stay on their phone the whole time. I was one of them at one point in my life. There are people that intentionally distract themselves with the children that make an excuse to be very distracted because they're cute, they're adorable. How could you not be? Our kids are very cute. But you'll see people come, and they're, they're always like, Ooh, and then they take someone else out of the sermon. Look at what Aaron's doing. Look at what Finley's doing. That's not fair. If you come and you're easily distracted by, by the children, by the cute children, um, don't take someone else out of the sermon because you're distracted. And in fact, that, that happens with phones too. If, if you're on your phone next to someone, you're taking that person out of the sermon. Don't do that. Don't be unfair to the person that is genuinely trying to hear God's word. The fourth, people that contemplate other things during the whole sermon. People do this. How tired you are how busy your week is going to be. 
all the things that you have to worry about, the anxieties of the world, your job, your family, your friends, that next thing. This is very common. So people that sit there and think about other things will never benefit from a sermon. And so we should really desire to be people that that catch ourselves doing this because this is a normal thing, right? Stressing about money and stressing about health and stressing about tragedy and all sorts of things. We do this. We're very petty people. We're frail. So don't beat yourself up for doing it, but don't reward yourself for the continued doing of it, right? Catch yourself and say, okay, refocus, refocus, refocus. Lord, help me. That's all it takes. It's very simple. Just practice. Beat yourself into submission there. And so these kinds of people, these kinds of people are often the kinds of people that say church is a chore. I didn't get anything from church this week. I just go to church and I feel like I'm going through the motions. It's because you are, and it's your fault. Again, the assumption is you're a regenerate Christian and the pastor's preaching from the scriptures. If you go to a biblical church and you cannot benefit from the sermons at that church, the problem is you. And so some takeaways, some takeaways, some things to do this week, simple things. The first thing, pray on Saturday night before the Lord's Day. doesn't have to be anything crazy, just a quick little 30-second prayer. And see, just get into the habit of doing that. Pray on Sunday morning before you leave, before you get in the car. Just circle up as a family or by yourself real quickly and just say, Hey, Lord, start working on me before I get to church. Prepare me to hear the word of God. Prepare, Prepare me to hear you. Two, journal about the fleshly things you do during sermons. Take a minute and just think about the things that distract you personally. What are the things I'm prone to being distracted by? Is it my phone? Is it my stress about my job? What are the things that that personally take me out of sermons? And then now that that you've identified it, root it it out. Work on it. Work on it. And that's a practical thing. Three, have a conversation with someone this week about the sermon, whether it be through text or phone or preferably in person. Four, Review the sermon privately, whether it be just one major point that you took away from it, or two or three, or maybe it was a question that you want to get into the scriptures with and say, let me dig into this more. Was this right, or was this is something I need to explore more? I need to be more like a Berean. The fourth, or the fifth, focus on one takeaway from the sermon and try to practice it. Try to make it real for you. Take something that that first was presented to your mind, applied to your heart, and then take your hands and do it. So hopefully, going into 2020, we can be more prayerful congregation. We can be a more faithful congregation, one that genuinely benefits from the word of God more, that takes the preach word seriously. And if if history is any indication, this is what really made meaningful converts in church history. It's people that, that took the word of God very seriously. And so our prayer this year going into this week, should be that we can all grow together more in Christ, that we can benefit from God's word to preach more, and that we can, of course, glorify God and enjoy him evermore. Amen. Um, You are dismissed. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week.